0: I don't know. I don't know how I want to do an intro for this one either. I'll just do. Welcome to America the Bizarre. I'm Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly American history podcast where I bring the history.
1: And I bring the jokes.
0: It's the new year, so...
1: Happy New Year. Happy
0: New Year. We're 2020. Not only a new year, but a new decade. That's right. So, it's a lot of a lot of promise, but I also feel like a lot of expectations. <laughs> but I have a a lot of hope and a lot of big things planned for this podcast in the coming years. Yeah. So, not just this year, but the far future. And I'm excited for everybody that's listening and hopefully you'll stick with us and See what else this new year and decade brings for us. Dr. Little Schooler Adams was a practicing dentist and oral surgeon from Pennsylvania. What?
1: You going ask me about going to the dentist's office.
0: Oh, I guess we could start that way. Yeah.
1: I don't know what it's about, but the first thing he <laughs> says is he's a dentist.
0: I guess that's an intro. So I guess tell me about your last dentist thought-like appointment.
1: What, um... <laughs> I mean, my so th- oral health, I don't think, needs to be public knowledge. Well, it but, sounded uh,
0: like you're really excited to talk about it.
1: Not super excited, but I won't name any names. I was talking to a dentist today. Uh, yeah? Two dentists, actually. Wow. And they both admitted they don't floss enough. And I feel like that is so hypocritical. <laughs> hypocritical? No, it's so relieving, though. You yeah. know? Like... Dentist, heed your own warning, but...
0: So, of course, every time (laughs) I go to the dentist, they tell me to floss more, Mm -hmm. but I've read a study, I've actually read, like, a couple articles Uh that cite a study that said flossing doesn't even help that much. Well... Like, as long as you're brushing twice a day and you're using mouthwash, there's nothing that shows that flossing helps your gum or tooth health. Sure. More than that. Sure. I mean, you still have to do those things. You can't just...
1: I mean, it's probably still debatable.
0: Sure. But I like to... (laughs) I I like to live my life by that study. Especially because my teeth are so so close together that even the dental hygienist, when I go to the dentist, they literally have to, like, thread the floss, like, in between my teeth. Uh Because it won't fit... Like, if they go over the top of my teeth, it won't go in between them because my teeth are so tight together. Hmm. And so they're like, oh, you should floss more. And literally the last time I was in the dentist, I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell you why I don't floss more. Because you guys literally use a needle to thread floss in between my teeth. And you know what? I'm not going to do that on a daily basis. I'm just being honest with you. I will no longer be shamed for this. (laughs)
1: That's right. right. Anyways, we love our dentists out there. Thanks for your your good oral hygiene tips. We appreciate
0: you. We both go to the dentist twice a year.
1: And if you're like Mm. me and don't really enjoy brushing your teeth, but you like to shower, you can always invest in a tooth shower. It's a real thing. Look it up.
0: Yeah, didn't she get that off of, it was like one of those... Indiegogo. Yeah, Indiegogos. Yep. (laughs) He was very excited about it, and he loves it, so it is an option. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so doctor Adams is a dentist and oral surgeon from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And he but he also doubled with inventions in his spare time. In nineteen twenty seven, doctor Adams experimented with an airmail pickup system that would allow for a plane to pick up mail in rural areas without ever having to land. The mail container would be suspended from ropes or cables suspended from two poles. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay the plane would swoop down with a hook hanging below the plane and snag the cables with it, thus picking up all the mail. In 1934, Dr. Adams showed off his invention by making regular deliveries and pickups from the middle of the lagoon at the Chicago World's Fair in 1934. The First Lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, took an interest in Dr. Adams' invention and he would sometimes take her in his own plane to different presentations of the invention. Nice. In 1941, Dr. Adams went on a vacation to the American Southwest. While in New Mexico, he visited the Carlsbad Caverns National Park, which is home to more than 100 caves and about a million bats. Adams was fascinated by the bats while he was there and continued to think about them even when he returned home to Pennsylvania. On December 7, 1941, at 7.55 a.m., Hawaii time. Three hundred and sixty Japanese warplanes descended upon the United States naval base. Wait, wait, can I?
1: What we're talking about a dentist? Yes. Then airmail. Yes. And now and then, bats. Pearl Harbor. The pair, yeah, bats and then Pearl Harbor. This yes. Is,
0: the story
1: does it make sense? Eventually, it it,
0: I, it will eventually all come together. <laughs> okay, and yeah, I'm
1: going to be really <laughs> upset. <laughs> it does it. <laughs> lot of loose ends right now.
0: Okay. So, Pearl Harbor happens. Yep. Okay. <laughs> we all know about Pearl Harbor. Yep. I always remember Pearl Harbor before I even, like, get on my news websites or whatever. Or I always remember my parents' anniversary because I get on news sites and it says it's Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day because <laughs> my parents were married on December 7th. Nice. It works out. President Franklin D. Roosevelt knew that a J- Japanese attack was possible... But America was still caught off guard when the air assault on the base began. Five of eight battleships, three destroyers, and seven other ships were sunk or extremely damaged, and over 200 aircraft at the base were completely destroyed. 2,400 Americans were killed, and another 1,200 were seriously wounded. Dr. Adams turned on his radio that day and listened to the horrors that were happening to Americans at the hands of the Japanese. He quickly began to devise a plan to seek revenge against Japan.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, this sounds pretty cool. It's like... Uh...
0: It's like almost like some kind of evil villain plot, kind of. I don't know. We'll get into it.
1: Adams is a vigilante. Oh, no.
0: Uh, so Adam starts researching bats more extensively and even went back to Carlsbad to capture some of the bats. Adams learned that the most common bat in North America is the free-tailed bat that America can, free <laughs> that can eat more than 12 times its own size in insects in a single night and carry an external load almost 3 times its own weight. Using his connection to the First Lady, Dr. Adams was able to get a letter to FDR that next month. So I mean, I don't know if you just read my notes, but do you have a guess of what Doctor, the dentist Adams' invention is, or what he's gonna—he's gonna he's
1: airmail gonna air some bombs. Is he? I mean, like little grenades.
0: Like, I, yeah, put kind grenades of grenades on bats. <laughs> I'm nodding. my dear Mister President. I attach hereto a proposal designed to frighten, demoralize, and excite the prejudices of the people of the Japanese Empire. As fantastic as you may regard the idea, I am convinced it will work and I earnestly request that it receive the utmost careful consideration, lest our busy leaders to overlook a practical, inexpensive, and effective plan to the disadvantage of our armed forces and to the sorrow of the mothers of America. It is one that might easily be used against us if the secret is not carefully guarded. (laughs) I urge you to appoint a committee to study thoroughly and promptly all the possibilities of this plan, and that its members shall consist of civilian eminently qualified to not only pass upon but solve all technical matters and recommend methods for the execution of the raids. (laughs) So that was the first part of the letter. Then Dr. Adams goes on to list several well-known scholars and businessmen that he would like to lead the study that he was proposing. And then he went on to write about his plan. So back to the letter. Proposal for surprise attack. Remember Pearl Harbor. Shall the sun set quickly over the land of the rising sun, I would return the call of the Japanese at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941 with a dawn visit at a convenient time in an appropriate way. (laughs) The lowest form of animal life is the bat, associated in history with the underworld and regions of darkness and evil. Until now, reasons for its creation have remained unexplained. (laughs) As I vision it, the millions of bats that have for ages inhabited our belfries, Tunnels and caverns were placed there by God to wait this hour to play their part in the scheme of free human existence (laughs) and to frustrate any attempt of those who dare desecrate our way of life. This lowly creature, the bat is capable of carrying in flight a sufficient quantity of incendiary material to ignite a fire. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So basically (laughs) apparently Adam's, thinks really lowly of bats (laughs) and their only reason for being created at all is so that americans use that can use them to exact revenge on the japanese for pearl harbor so then adam's letter goes on to explain how a million bats carrying small fire bombs could be released an hour before dawn over an industrial city in japan And they would do what bats do and go find dark, secluded places in the city to hide, like factories, attics, lumber piles, power plants, etc., etc. The bombs would then ignite all at once, or really close together, exploding homes and factories, so that the Japanese would be homeless and without places to work, but probably able to escape with their lives. Uh, Or most people would be able to escape with their lives.
1: Yeah. So not really going for casualties, just going for infrastructure.
0: Right, and just kind of to, yeah, to make a point, yeah. Yeah. Since bats hibernate during winter, Adams explains that it would be easy to collect the bats and equip them with tiny bombs, then transport them, all without having to worry about feeding them or caring for them, other than to maintain the conditions necessary for hibernation. They would then warm the bats up in order to wake them up when it was go time. (laughs) Then Adam's letter ends with, An important consideration is that a bat weighs less than one-half ounce, or about 35 to the pound, which means that approximately 200,000 bats could be transported in one four-motored Stratoliner-type airplane and still allow one-half the payload capacity to permit free air circulation and increased gasoline load. Ten such planes would carry two million fire starters. In submitting this proposal, it is with a fervent prayer that the plan will effectively be used to the everlasting benefit of mankind. Yours humbly, Little S. Adams. Lytle. Lytle S. Uh. Adams. So, apparently, FDR didn't think that this plan was insane, and the proposal was sent to the National Research Defense Committee, which was in charge of looking into war applicable ideas. Apparently, back then, citizens were sending in all kinds of novel warfare ideas, and then the committee would sift through them to see if there was anything worthwhile. I
1: just imagine a bunch of teenage boys coming up with these ideas and like submitting them to I this place, and are on... like, yeah, these ideas are actually really great, and it's just a bunch of...
0: Like, half big schemes? Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not going to lie, I was a little inventor when I was, you know, middle school, high school, probably middle school more than high school. Yeah.
0: Well, and some people don't grow up, don't grow out of that, and they become dentists that <laughs> invent bat bombs, yeah,
1: I guess I'll have to be a lawyer that invents bat bombs, yes
0: <laughs> uh this proposal was sent to the Army Chemical Warfare Service. It seems that because f d r seemed on board with the idea, everyone else just went with it to be fair, though the government was already looking into pigeon controlled missiles. <laughs> After receiving the go-ahead, Adam started to assemble his team of researchers. He hired Dr. Jack Von Bloker, a mammologist from the L.A. County Museum, a pilot-turned-actor, Lt. Tim Holt, brothers Bobby and Eddie Harold, ex-gangster Patricio Patsy Batista, who claimed to have worked for Al Capone, another set of brothers, Frank and Mark Benish, Ray Williams, who was a lobster fisherman-turned-Marine, and Von Bloker's two high school student assistants, Jack Koefer and Harry Fletcher. <laughs> Since the project was being overseen by the Air Force, most of the team members enlisted in the Air Force. The Army Air Corps. Yes, well, it was, yeah, back then. Army, Air yeah. Force.
1: No, it's the Army Air Corps. Okay. The Air Force wasn't invented until, didn't come into existence until.
0: I do not know the year.
1: Yeah. What was that? To be. War II. Uh, okay. So I, I, have it, I have it listed like, lower that <laughs> Just it's. Just a little asterisk in Yeah,
0: there. I have it listed lower that it's the Army goes to the, Air goes to the Army. Force. The credit Air, goes to the Army
1: for the bat, bat yes.
0: bomb. I guess it's Army Air Corps. <laughs> Though a lot of the places I saw it said it called it Army Air Force in most of the articles I read. So yeah. that's why I put that. Yeah, but yes. It's good. But it was under the Army and then under the Air Corps. Air Corps. Yep. Many enlisted in the Air Corps, and Adams promoted many of them to acting non-commissioned officers. Later on, Dr. Theodore Pfizer, the inventor of napalm, also joined the team. Dr. Adams and his team immediately got to work trying to find and collect bats. Dr. Adams later said, We visited a thousand caves... Question. Okay.
1: When did the napalm... When was napalm invented? Had he already invented napalm? At this point in time?
0: Uh, uh, It looks like it was invented in 1942. So about pre pretty
1: concurrently. Yes.
0: Uh, Dr. Adams and his team immediately got to work trying to find and collect bats. Dr. Adams later said, we visited a thousand caves and three thousand mines. Speed was so imperative that we generally drove all day and night when we weren't exploring caves. We slept in the cars, taking turns at driving. One car and our search team covered 350,000 miles. The team collected several types of bats. The largest bat that they collected was the Mastiff bat, which has a 20-inch wingspan and was able to carry up to a one-pound stick of dynamite. <laughs> However, the team couldn't find enough of them for that type of bat to be used. The most common type of bat collected was the common mule bat, which could carry three ounces, but they weren't hardy enough to survive all the transport and poking and prodding the project required. The team selected the free-tailed bat. Nice. The most common bat in North America. Though it was small, it could still fly fairly well while carrying a one-ounce bomb. The team found a colony of free-tailed bats that numbered somewhere between 20 and 30 million in Ney Cave near Bandera, Texas. Wow. That's a lot of bats. That's a ton of bats. According to a report by Captain Wiley W. Carr, the colony was so big and compacted that five hours' time is required for these animals to leave the cave while flying out in a dense stream 15 feet in diameter and so closely packed that they can barely fly. They're just packed in that cave. That has to be terrifying when Mm. they all leave. (laughs) You're just standing there. The team had three nets that were each about three feet in diameter and that were on ten foot poles. They would pass the poles back and forth across the cave entrance when the bats flew out after only three passes with the nets. The team had collected around a hundred bats and then they just figured they were good yeah. <laughs> for that <laughs> for that round. Yeah. The teams then took the bats out of the nets and placed them in cages in a refrigeration truck. Dr. Adams took some of them to Washington where he attached dummy bombs to them to show Army officials how the plan would work. In March of 1943, the United States Army Air Corps gave authority for the experiment to proceed with arming the bats with bombs. Nice. Dr. L. F. Fisser was given the task to design bombs that would be light enough for the bats to carry while flying. England had used fire bombs in World War I that were called baby incendiaries. That would weigh only six and a half ounces each after being filled with a thermite mixture.
1: So they've got to make them a
0: even lighter—a
1: seventh of that.
0: Dr. Fissern designed two different bat bombs modeled after England's baby incendiaries. The first weighed 17 grams and would burn for four minutes with a 10-inch flame. The second weighed 28 grams and would burn for six minutes with a 12-inch flame. Both bombs were oblong, nitrocellulose cases filled with thickened kerosene and had a time-delay igniter cemented onto the side of the case. So it looked like basically just a tiny little bomb. The igniter was made up of a firing pin that was held in tension against a spring by a thin steel wire. When it was time to ignite the bombs, a copper chloride solution was injected into the cavity where the steel wire passed. The steel wire would be corroded by the copper chloride. The firing pin would then snap forward and strike the igniter head, which would light the kerosene and create the firebomb. Nice. Yeah. They're like, okay, about ready to drop the bats. Yeah. Fill it with fill all the bombs with the solution.
1: Yeah, could you have, imagine how long that would take just to do that part though? Yeah. Like that's what I'm thinking. If they're really if it's- they really want to do two million
0: that sounds like it sounds like a lot of work.
1: <laughs> yeah, very labor intensive. Yes, it's not like where you can just like sync them all yeah. up on Bluetooth. Yeah, and yeah and
0: push a button yeah. on your phone. Yeah, Captain Carr described how to outfit the bats with the bombs. Bats were taken from the refrigeration truck in a hibernated state in lots of approximately fifty. They were taken individually by a biologist and about a one-half inch of loose chest skin was pinched away from the flesh. While this operation was being done, another group was preparing the incendiaries. One operator injected the solution in the delay me- mechanism, another sealed the hole with wax, and another placed a surgical clip that was fastened to the incendiary by a short string. The incendiary was then handed to a trained helper who fastened it to the chest skin of the bat. The Crosby Research Foundation, which was created by Bing Crosby and his brothers oh, yeah? Bob and Larry. The story has everything. Oh my
1: <laughs> gosh. Um who's Bing Crosby
0: for our listeners at home? Well, if they don't know who Bing Crosby is, especially around Christmas time.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah, don't mm-hmm. sing the songs we don't own the rights. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't you didn't you go
1: to school with the Crosby?
0: Uh yes, she was in Rice sorority. She was the granddaughter of Dean Crosby. Crazy.
1: Yeah. How 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 we're all related to this? It's event. just
0: the world is just People so small. People from Texas are yeah. just
1: like, yeah, I know where the Delfe. The De De Fey. Ne. Nay. Ne? Nay Fey. Nay
0: Nef- Nay ne Cave. Nay Cave. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's that? And we, up here in Idaho, we're like, hey, I know somebody who's related to that guy.
0: Yeah. So, the Crosby brothers uh-huh. created this research foundation, and the foundation was tasked with creating the big bomb that would hold all of the bats with their tiny bombs. So... <laughs> You've got all these bats. Now you got
1: to make a bat bomb. You so can- you have the incendiary bomb. Now you need a bat bomb. Yeah, you've got
0: the tiny bombs that are attached to the bats, and then you've got a big bomb that's going to drop out of the plane that's filled with tiny with tiny bats that have tiny bombs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of working parts. <laughs> yeah. This sounds like one of my nightmares. Yeah. The big bomb basically looked like what we think bombs look like: a cylinder with tapered nose and fins. The exterior was made of sheet metal. The interior of the bomb contained a parachute, heating and cooling controls, and stacks of cardboard trays that could hold 1,040 bats. The big bat bombs would be loaded onto a plane and dropped while the plane was flying over the target area. The big bomb would automatically open up when when it was about 1,000 feet above the ground and release the bats. The bats were then supposed to fly into dwellings and other structures where they would hopefully gnaw through the string that attached the bomb to themselves before the steel wire was corroded and then fly away, leaving the fire bombs behind to cause mass destruction. (laughs) But then you think about it. And so there's this book that was written by one of the high school students that was part of the team. And he was like, honestly, that was the plan, was that the bats were supposed to chew through the wire. But he said, we all knew that these bats bats were going to go up in flame, too. But it didn't seem like such a big deal back then, because even for these people that are biologists and love these animals and have been studying bats for such a long time, it seemed worth it, because Pearl Harbor was...
1: Such an atrocious act. Yeah. True.
0: That it people were felt, felt like that was worth duty, it. Patriotic yes.
1: duty to sacrifice these bats.
0: Yes, and they're also like they're bats. Yeah, it was like twenty five million
1: of them. There's just chilling so in this one cave. many bats. Just we, in this one cave. Really, well, yeah, we,
0: right? Really, we have too many bats. Yeah,
1: we can we can spare two million or so. Yes.
0: In May of 1943, 3,500 more bats were collected at Carlsbad Caverns and flown to Morocco Lake, California. On May 21st, 1943, five drops of bats wearing dummy bombs were made from a B-25. However, the tests were not successful. Many of the bats had not fully come out of hibernation before they dropped, so when the big bomb opened up to release them, they were still asleep and fell to their deaths. (laughs) After that, the research team was transferred to an Army Air Force field, Army Air Corps field, airfield, at Carlsbad, New Mexico. Problems kept arising for the bat research team. The bat skin where they were attaching the surgical clips was delicate and kept tearing. The big bat bombs weren't opening at the right times, and they were still having problems with the bats waking up on time. The team worked through these issues and had a few successful trial runs. A mock-up Japanese village was built at Utah's Dugway Proving Grounds, and the bats were released on it, causing adequate destruction. The chief chemist said of the trial run, the regular bombs would give probably 167 to 400 fires per bomb load, where bats would give 3,625 to 4,748 fires. (laughs) Oh
1: my god. Those are some specific numbers, huh? Yeah, apparently he crunched them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd say. Very observant.
0: (laughs) Yes. Not all the trial runs were successful, though. Before one trial run, a careless handler left a door open and six bats that had already been fitted with live bombs escaped their cage. The bats flew into a hangar and under a general's car, successfully burning up both. Shortly after, the army passed the project on to the Navy. (laughs) In August of
1: 1943. yeah, they swept that one under the rug and were like, yeah, Navy, this is, it's going great. Take this project. I'm pretty sure the general saw his
0: car go up in flames and was like, we're not doing this anymore. This is, this is done. You find somebody else but to take this. It's the
1: exact opposite. It's like, hey, look, oh, look worked, general. <laughs> I worked on your car.
0: So the Navy renamed the project Project X-Ray. Ugh, Why? I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I liked the what was it the Rising Dawn? Yeah, uh, Pearl Harbor yeah. Revenge Project. Something like, <laughs> Stuff I like that. Like that yeah.
0: yeah. In October of 1943, the Navy leased four caves in Texas, and then they handed the project over to the Marine Corps. <laughs> Uh oh! <laughs>
1: this is where it gets. This is where it goes downhill. When right? every
0: <laughs> well, I think maybe even something else happened because people are just starting to pass this project <laughs> off to one another. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants it anymore. Yeah, yeah. So the Marines assigned soldiers to guard the caves. Dr. Adams created screens that would be placed over the cave entrances and capture the bats. Up to a million bats could be collected in one night.
1: Oh my gosh. On Dece- they couldn't process a million bats in one night.
0: No, I think yeah. this, this is probably where like more bats just... Yeah. On December 13th, 1943, experiments with bat bombs, <laughs> with bat bombs under the Marine Corps began. In total, 35 fires were started in the experiments. 22 of those fires went out on their own, and only 4 of the fires required professional firefighters to put them out. A more powerful incendiary would be required in order to create the firestorm that was expected. More money and tests were poured into the project and full-scale bomber bat tests were planned for in August of 1944. However, it was assumed that the bats wouldn't be ready for combat until mid-1945. When Fleet Admiral Ernest J. King heard about the timeline, he quickly canceled Project X-Ray. In total, the project cost around $2 million, which is around $29 million today. Huh. It is widely believed that the real reason that Project X-Ray was canceled was because the military decided to direct all available funding and resources towards the Manhattan Project. <laughs> where yeah. the... If they could get that to work, yeah. it would work. Yeah, Dr. Adams was very disappointed to see his project abandoned and said that unlike the atom bomb, his method would have caused the devastation of Japan, but with small loss of life. Yep. Dr. Adams... Which,
1: I mean, you could argue, too, in turn, would create still a substantial amount of loss of life. Because if you're da- damaging infrastructure like that, you know, you end up with just more...
0: Absolutely.
1: More death anyways, so maybe not an immediate death toll. That could be...
0: And thinking that causing that many fires isn't going to kill some people, I think is irresponsible and unrealistic. Ignorant ignorant and naive. Yeah, just like thinking that you're not going to cremate millions of bats. Yeah. So, Dr. Adams continued to invent, and his later inventions included prairie seed bombs, and a fried chicken vending machine. <laughs>
1: just a just an American hero. Yes. <laughs> the prairie seed bombs are those those are incendiaries for starting uh prescribed burns?
0: No. These are basically uh little balls that are like compacted dirt and seeds. Oh. That they like re- shoot them into the ground for reseeding purposes. Oh,
1: ah, okay. Cuz you you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like I'm thinking, like, if they... I don't know when those were invented. Yeah, I don't know either. But uh, uh, for the people at home who don't know, I've got quite a few friends that... uh, Forest fires, wildland firefighters, whatever you want to call them. And uh, they'll go do these prescribed burns. And one of my buddies, he's a helicopter crew chief. And they'll go out and they've got these, like... I think they're, like, little ceramic balls... And they just, like, hundreds, maybe if not thousands of them, and they'll just drop them to start fires in remote areas. So, usually in the wintertime or late fall. So, sure. It's like, but, that would have that done the same thing. Saved you, like, not even have to deal with all the bats.
0: Well, they were, yeah. <laughs> but you couldn't get them in those tight places. Yeah.
1: You were targeting, you were targeting, um infrastructure with the bats cuz the bats would go and hide
0: in attics and really and really stuff. get in there. Yep, yep, yep. The Japanese had also been working on their own firebomb campaign while Adams was working <laughs> on bat bombs. The Japanese had the Fugo plan, which was to send balloons carrying bombs from Japan to the Pacific Northwest of America using the jet stream. Have you heard about this? No. Really? No. Hypothetically, the balloons would land in the forests and create mass forest fires along the west coast. The balloon bombs were around 33 feet in diameter and were made from rubberized silk or paper. Each balloon carried fire bombs along with sandbags. Barometer-operated valves released hydrogen if the balloon gained too much altitude or dropped sandbags if it lost too much altitude. Japan released around 9,000 of these balloon bombs, but most never made it to America. At least three hundred forty two did reach the United States, though some balloons made it as far as North Dakota. Oh
1: my
0: One balloon hit a power line and temporarily blacked out a nuclear weapons plant in Hanford, Washington. Yeah, There were six American casualties from the balloon bombs. Five kids and their Sunday school teacher that were on their way to a picnic. Oh my gosh, it's believed that they are probably that there are probably still Fugo balloons in America that never ignited. And are hidden in the Pacific Northwest. Some hikers found one in two thousand fourteen. So if you find a huge paper lantern in the woods, just leave it alone. <laughs> Don't touch it.
1: PSA. Yeah. Call uh uh call Smokey the Bear. Yeah. He'll come take care of it. <laughs>
0: so I mean, I guess it sounds dumb. These these feel these feel like half baked, dumb ideas. ideas that got way too much funding. Yeah. But I guess desperate times call for desperate measures
1: or welcome to the military industrial complex. Yes, but at least
0: <laughs> at least Japan was doing the same thing as us. It wasn't it, just us. It was a little bit less of an environmental
1: impact cuz they weren't roping in millions
0: of bats or murdering <laughs> millions of bats. How I wonder how many bats actually died. Before the project was terminated. Right.
1: Well, especially once he developed that screen. I mean.
0: That, that's, yeah. That's huge. Well, and how many bats did they drop before they realized they, you know, how much awake time they needed? You know? Because how many <laughs> were just asleep and.
1: Yeah. And just didn't Just perform. fell to their deaths. Yeah.
0: My sources for this story are Bat Bomb, World War II's Other Secret Weapon by Jack Cofer, the high school student. Uh, high yeah. yeah. Which I really recommend that book. It's a really big book all about how he was part of the Bat Bomb research team. (laughs) It's really good. Old Weird Tech, The Bat Bombs of World War II by Alexis C. Madrigal. Bat Bombs, World War II's Project X-Ray by Alan T. Duffin. The Bat Bombers by C.V. Gleines. A Batman to the Rescue by Dr. Patrick Drum and Christopher Overy. Bats and Balloon Bombs, The Weird Weapons That Could Have Won World War II by Danny Lewis. Pearl Harbor Bomb, a History.com article. May 5th, 1945, Japanese Balloon Bomb Kills Six in Oregon by David Kravitz. If you enjoy this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on iTunes. That's how other people find us. Also, please just tell your friends and family about us. So that we get found more. Subscribe so you never miss uh, a new episode, so that it's automatically in your playlist wherever you listen to podcasts as soon as a new episode is released. We now have two bonus episodes on Patreon if you want to go check those out. The latest one was on Puritans' War on Christmas, where the Puritans banned Christmas for 200 years in New England. That was a fun one yeah. to record.
1: <laughs> how do I how do I get to that bonus content?
0: So, in our show notes, there is a link to our Patreon page. So, all you have to do is click that. Or if you go to patreon.com and search for America the Bizarre, our page should pop up, and then you just have to choose what tier you want to support the podcast. It starts at $1 a month from for George Washington's wooden teeth tier. There's a few tiers, uh, and I believe the highest tier is $10 a month for Alexander Hamilton's Dueling Pistols. So choose your tier, however you want to support us. Supporting this podcast, not only do you get bonus episodes, but it helps us keep running, it helps us do more research, it helps us get better equipment, and the more supporters we get, the more bonus episodes we can do. So it's good for everybody. Uh, We also have our website where you can check out the show notes. If you remember an episode, like a topic about an episode, but you don't remember which one it was, you can type in our search bar. Like, say you want to learn about, I don't know. Iowa. Iowa. And so then the episode about America's other civil war, the civil war between Iowa and Missouri, will pop up. So that's just americathebizarre.com. So you guys should go check that out too. Until next time, stay Stay weird, weird, America. America.